time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 36 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland, Coffee Coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? We're back to the cold brew again. It's summer. We yeah. got to go. Mm-hmm. They have delicious cold brew over at Coffee Coffee. If you're a fan of delicious coffee, scrumptious scones, and lunchtime specials, and you're local, head on over to Coffee Coffee. You will not be disappointed. Hello, lady. Hello. How are you doing today? Great. It is hot. It's hot, yeah. This is our opening for the summer. <laughs> and in the winter, it's cold. <laughs> We have seven fluffy little napkin chicks. I know. We're spamming Instagram. Oh, they're so cute, though. They're so <laughs> cute. We're just in love with them. They're very cute. I can't see you giving those chicks up at all, though. Why you got to make them a mind for me? <laughs> <laughs> I already know. I already know. The other day, we're sitting on the sofa, and Ella's sitting next to me, and she looks at me out of the blue. We're not talking about anything, and says, mm-hmm. you know, Ann Holly can't give up those chicks. I said, you're on the bandwagon. That's already going that says, Anna can't give them her chicks. I went to see my friend Michelle yesterday and she said the same thing. Her husband said, Holly's not giving up those chicks. <laughs> it remains to be seen. We'll see what happens. That's all I know. Oh. I will say this though. Whether I'm selling hatching eggs or I'm actually doing breeding and selling chickens, I've always been firm about this. If you breed, you should be able to take them back. Oh, yeah. So any bird that leaves, I have provisions for. It can come back and live with me for the rest of its life. I'm going to take girls, but not boys. But oh, you already said you you're getting a box of roosters. Just stop. <laughs> Sorry, you've already box said that. Roosters, man. <laughs> box of roosters. <laughs> I don't know about that. So what's going on with you besides chicks? No, we're just doing the garden planning, which is super fun. Oh, yeah. That is a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this process. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting ready for family coming in town that we haven't seen in like two years because of COVID. So that'll be a fun weekend coming up for us. We'll be able to see all of our cousins and aunts and uncles that we have not seen in forever. So we're looking forward to that. Great. Before we move on, we have a favor to ask everybody. If you listen to us on Apple Podcast or you don't and you are loving our show, if you could head on over and click on written review and write us a review, that would be excellent. It really helps our podcast out. It would also help if you subscribe to the podcast, if you haven't already. Oh, yeah. And if you're liking an episode, share it on social media. That would be wonderful. I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but we do have an Etsy shop. We do. If you are loving our show and want some merch, it's there for the taking. On Etsy, we have our logo mugs. Although there are not a lot of the logo mugs left. They're not almost gone. Not very many. And we do have short sleeve rooster tees and long sleeve watercolor tees that we commission the art for. They're gorgeous and shipping is free on our t-shirts. Yes. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then most definitely. Let me just take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. By the way, did you get your July box yet? I did. And I absolutely love that hanging treat feeder and the beaded rooster bracelet that I'm wearing everywhere. Just the cutest. I am in love with that brown sugar saver. It's saving my sugar from the hammer already. 
I love the Mega Box. There's tons of useful products in there for my flock and a chicken t-shirt for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tee. They are so cute and so soft. You're going to love them. Yeah, the boxes start at $39 a month. They ship out immediately after your order and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get your box. Get off the nest and click already. Chickenlove.com. Chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. So, I think it's about that time that we move into Breed Spotlight. Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling my 80s rock right I now. See that. Yeah. I see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, this week, our Breed Spotlight is the New Hampshire. Yes. This is a really cool type of chicken. Well, they're beautiful. I mean, gorgeous. When you look them up, they're really, really pretty chickens. So they're a heritage breed that were developed in the early 20th century, so around 1915. Right. It's a dual-purpose breed, very beautiful chestnut color. Oh, the boys are so oh, handsome. Guess where they were developed? <laughs> <laughs> New Hampshire. And Massachusetts as well. New Hampshire, Massachusetts. So as we said, they're big, handsome chickens. The roos are about eight and a half pounds. Hens are about six and a half pounds. They have straight combs. The hen's comb will flop over a little bit. I think that is the cutest it's thing. It's adorable. I have multiple chickens that have floppy combs a yeah. little bit, and I love it. I do, too. I absolutely love them. They have red ear lobes and yellow legs and feet. What kind of chicken does this remind you of? It might remind you a little bit. Of the Rhode Island Red? Just a little. A little bit. But let's keep going. We'll explain. They have a blocky, broad, triangular shape. Like broad in the they, front. They look hardy. Yeah, and they taper down to a triangle in the back. Both the male and female are that lovely chestnut color. The females have a black border on their lower neck feathers. So cute. Yeah, and they have black tail feathers. The roosters. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. So they're chestnut and russet color. They have black and iridescent tail feathers. They're really pretty. When you think of rooster, this is kind of one of those roosters. I'd say so. What mm-hmm. you, you picture in your mind is a roo. They're gorgeous. The hens are decent layers of large brown eggs. They lay roughly three a week. So they're not great at laying eggs. They're, 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 they're in the moderate. Yeah, they're respectable. respectable. <laughs> uh, they are known to go broody occasionally. Yeah, so if you have some eggs that you need somebody to sit on, they might be willing to do it for yeah, you. Yeah, if you have a broody hen, um, they're supposed to be very good mothers. Yeah. They're also good foragers, and they are supposed to be pretty predator savvy if you make the decision to free range. Right. Unlike other breeds that come from a mix of breeds... This is where it gets interesting. And this is where I was alluding to earlier. Right. The New Hampshire only comes from Rhode Island Reds. And you wrap your brain around this and you say, what? Just Rhode Island Reds. So they took the most robust of the breed, the quickest to mature. And to feather out. And then they bred them until they made a distinct breed from that chicken. The standard of perfection notes that the Rhode Island Reds were selected for early maturity, quick feathering, as we said, egg size and overall health. And they just bred that line into a distinct breed. Yeah. So they try to take the best of the best from what they thought would be to make a very hearty, heavier chicken. A dual purpose bird. Instead of breeding for eggs, they bred for dual purpose. The New Hampshire was admitted to the American Poultry Association Standards of Perfection in 1935. Right. The standard of perfection notes that there are strain of New Hampshire's that were developed especially as table birds that have extremely rapid growth and increased weights, but they lost the egg production qualities of the standard New Hampshire's. That part of it makes sense to me because they're not putting as much effort physically into producing eggs. Right. Exactly. So the New Hampshire is one of the breeds that took part in the Chicken of Tomorrow contest. Ooh. Yeah. So after the Second World War, 
various organizations and government agencies were looking for ways to provide lots of protein quickly to large numbers of people. The baby boom was on. Post-war America was looking to use factory and automation to its fullest capacity. And the A&P? Oh, I know the A&P. Which is, stands for the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. It was a supermarket when we were kids. Yes. so Very that, close to both of our houses. Yes. So AMP, in conjunction with the USDA and the Cooperative Extension Agency, announced a contest. It had a $10,000 prize. So this is in the 40s. Wow. $10,000 prize for the best, fastest growing, and most efficient feed consumption broiler chicken. Okay. So you're looking at really the dawn of the industrial broiler chicken. Right. There were a number of smaller state regional contests that took place, and then the winners advanced to the national competition. Okay. And they chose the quote-unquote chicken of tomorrow. Right. In 1948, a documentary film was produced that shared the chicken of tomorrow contest and all the information with consumers. Okay. So besides the New Hampshire, the other breeds entered were White Plymouth Rocks, Red Cornish, and a New Hampshire Red Cornish Cross. In which that was the winner. That was the winner. That's right. The Livestock Conservancy currently lists the New Hampshire in the watch category of the poultry conservation list. I can see that. It's not one that you see a lot in your farm supply stores. No, there was one year. The mill did have them. You remember this and I do not. Uh-huh. I think it was the year that I wanted to get the speckled That's Sussex. That's exactly what it was. And the breeder did not send the speckled Sussex. Yes. Instead, they sent Bard Rocks and, and New, Hampshire's. New Hampshire's. And I was talking to you, which one would you go with? And I ended up going with the Bard Rock yeah. and not the New Hampshire. I mean, either or would be, you know. Both beautiful chickens, both decent layers. Yeah. So what we should start talking about, too, is how they're going to be in a flock. Right. So we've heard from various people that they're quite friendly with people. Yeah, very friendly with people. And in a flock where they're the only breed, they do pretty well. Yeah. But they can have a strong personality in a mixed flock. A lot of chickens can have a strong personality in a mixed flock. Barred rocks are one of them. Swedish flowers are another. Yeah. So... And dots have that same reputation. Exactly. So this might be a good flock to have just as New Hampshire. Just New Hampshire's, Yeah. They do look beautiful in a whole flock. Our upcoming guest has them. Oh, I'm so excited about it. And we talk about just how handsome they are in a flock. Her pictures are gorgeous. Her pictures are gorgeous. Her rooster is drop-dead gorgeous. And her pictures of her chickens are to die for. Yeah, they really are. She notes that they're pretty friendly as well. Yeah, she does. And again, they're in a single breed flock. Yes. So if you are looking to buy stock, you can check the Livestock Conservancy's breeder directory. Yes. Our guest, Penny, and her husband got their chickens from Whiskey Gulch, New Hamps in Oregon. Yes, and she is so happy with hers. Yes. Again, gorgeous and healthy. I will link to that farm in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Again, that's where the Weeks buy their chickens. Sandhill Preservation offers them straight run, but they're sold out for 2021. Of course. And most of the major hatcheries offer them as day-old chicks. Yeah. I mean, so they're readily available. They're not as popular. I can see how they would be on a watch list. Right. So this is another chicken that we'd love to get off the watch list. The only note I would make is, after reading the write-up for them in the Standard of Perfection, try to get heritage breed lines. You don't want that other strain where they are not good layers anymore. Exactly. Yeah. The heritage breed in all of the chickens that we talk about is going to be the best way to go. Absolutely. So now it's about that time that we go across the pond and have coffee, coffee with, with Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. Jessie. You left me singing on my own again. That's just not fair. <laughs> There's a slight delay and I was like trying to like catch it all up so it would be the same time. <laughs> so how are you doing this week, Fiona? 
oh, really good. The chicks are doing ever so well. So our youngest chicks are now four weeks old. And they are on auto openers now in the morning because I will manually let them out until they're about four weeks old. And that's because we've got these treadle feeders. So it's a little bit dangerous. I'm a bit worried about little chicks and the lids coming Mm -hmm. down and hurting them. So when they're four weeks old, they're quite big, they're quite robust. So at that point, the auto openers can work. I don't have to get up at ridiculous o'clock in the morning no, to let yeah. them out, which is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I am looking forward to a few lions in the morning. That sounds good. Coffee and relaxing while the chicks get up on their own, <laughs> which would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I mentioned to you, you may have seen on Instagram the little cream leg bar who likes to fly onto my knee. His Frosty. latest trick is fly onto my head. And so cute. <laughs> it, it makes me so happy and I don't know why. That is so cute. I cannot I can't imagine really a little cute. chick on your head to get the to get crumble. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but you could remember he's competing with 54 others. So he's got to do something to get a competitive advantage, hasn't he? Yeah, he is. He is. That's very smart. So this is about the time that the moms are kind of like we've talked about it before. Like, look, I've done my job. You know, we're all set to go. And uh, you kind of have to do your thing. So this is the time of independence, right? For the chicks. Yeah. And it's normally when the temperatures here in the UK were around 20 degrees Celsius. So we'd expect six to eight weeks. That would be the point at which the brood hen would go back to the main coop. Now, it depends on your setup as to whether they're going to leave the chicks and go back to the main coop or whether they're going to stay with the chicks in the existing coop. And kind of just ignore them and say, I'm not your duvet anymore. Right. <laughs> so we normally have a situation where the broody hen will go back to the main coop. So she will actually physically leave the coop where the chicks actually are and go back to the, the big coop where all the adults are. Unfortunately, we've got Willow and six little four-week-old chicks in there at the moment. So the main coop isn't technically the main coop at the moment. Right. So... All of the brood hens who have left their chicks are still in their brood coops. So they've emotionally have left, but not physically. (laughs) Yeah, but what's really funny is the very first hen that left, if you remember, a clutch of eggs was shared originally between Rowan and Cinnamon. Yes, right. So they hatched on exactly the same time. Those chicks are now eight weeks old. Rowan had her chicks be independent at five weeks. Now, normally, Rowan would have left the coop. However, what actually happened is Rowan decided, I'm not your duvet anymore. So it gives them a little light peck on the head at night. So the chicks don't want to be around her. So they're at the other side of the coop from her. And after a few nights, they decided, right, I'm not putting up with this. My siblings are in a different clutch in a different coop, and they're being looked after. So guess what? I'm going over there. So actually, <laughs> yeah. So Rowan's chicks are all with Cinnamon, with Cinnamon's chicks in Cinnamon's coop. In the meantime, we've also had Frankie, who hatched seven weeks ago. Her chicks have been independent for about a week now. Nice. And yeah, Frankie's very confused, bless her little consorts, because she is <laughs> she is cerebrally challenged. She, you know, does have that physical injury to her head, which means that she does still keep wandering up to the main coop every single night, has a little look in, a little bit of a whimper, 
then she sees Willow's chicks pop their heads out and that's it. Right. I don't want to be in there. I'm going no. back to my crew. <laughs> Nobody wants to be with those littles. No. They're like, yeah. look, we're done. We've no done our kids. jobs. No more kids. Yeah, so she goes back to her <laughs> chicks in her coop. The door comes down, shuts them all in, and all you can hear from inside is eek, eek. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Because she's gradually, as they're trying to climb under her to get the the warmth for her to be their duvet overnight, she's not having it. So she's giving them little bops on the head. And it's, oh, eek, eek. She's <laughs> so this kind is a- of saying, go away. Go away. Yeah. So this is about the time when they're going to get independence. Yeah. And as they get their independence, they're growing to that point where at 16 weeks, they will go to their yeah. new loving homes. That's got to be hard yeah. for you to say goodbye to them also. Well, I know a lot of people sell chicks sooner. So if they're raised with broody hens, as soon as the brood hen makes them independent, they will sell chicks on. But we like to keep them all, you know, until they're older, until they're more of, you know, the adult type. They're still getting used to the flock dynamics and they're still finding a way in the hierarchy. So at that point, they understand everything. Mm-hmm. It's much, much easier for their new owners to take them into their own existing flock with their right. existing yeah. adult hens. And the new hens understand, look, we're subordinates, we're lower down the pecking order and there's less of an issue. So right. it's just an easier transition. We like them to have that full experience till they're properly adults with us before they go so over here we would call that a grow out versus selling a pullet you would be growing them completely out right. to adult yeah in some cases they're grown out here to evaluate whether or not the breeder wants to keep them in their breeding program or they're male or female or right to sex them and maybe in some cases people want to show them yeah like yeah. the bantams are definitely grow outs or sold but yeah because you know you, you can't tell sex them early on now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, here in the UK, roughly about 16 weeks, although they're not point of lay until 24 to 26 right. weeks as mm-hmm. buffalo turns, they are badged as point of lays at 16 weeks onwards for okay. all yeah. hens. It's just, exactly. it's just the way it is over here. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we will sell them earlier, but only if somebody doesn't have hens that they're going to mix them with. And if they're taking a good number. So we have had the odd farmer who wants a breeding flock, a starter breeding flock, right. and we'll mm-hmm. sell them an unrelated cockerel and eight or 10 hens. And they will go as a big group, mm-hmm. maybe at 12 weeks. Yeah. Once we even did it at 10 weeks. But yeah. you know, it was it was quite an early point. But we were happy to do that because they weren't being mixed with any other hens. Right. It's definitely so a different situation when you're yeah. not dealing with an integration right so yeah you know if they're going to be their own flock i can definitely see uh, yeah, being able to let them go a little earlier makes perfect sense integration yeah, brings mean, in a whole new world that's for sure i mean the great thing for us as well we never sell from a distance so although people contact us from a distance we will only ever sell if they come to the site and we will ask them a lot of questions as well before they arrive so we know what their situation is we know how much ground they're going to have we know what types of coops they've got we know what other chickens they've got what their experience is so that we can give them a little bit of preparation And there are a few that we have actually said, look, I don't think this is for you. And Mm -hmm. there are a number actually that have advised not to get buff Orpingtons because they've wanted layers for the first time. Oh, yeah. 
of Orpingtons because of their broody tendencies, that's not ideal. So no, I totally agree. Having them, they're not laying champions. They're not laying champions. Yeah. So it's not a good chicken to get if you're wanting an egg a day. I want our chickens to go to homes where people know what they're getting. They're not disappointed. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're going to get what they want. They're going to become good breeding stock for them, or they're going to be cherished family pets as well. We right, have a right. lot that go as family pets. And yeah. it's fantastic getting pictures and notes from people afterwards saying how well they're doing and what they're up to. It's that just, is nice. I bet. They laugh so much. <laughs> so what we're going to do for everybody is... This is kind of our last broody report, but next month when we do our round table with Fiona, we're going to catch up and just check and see how all those little amazing chicks are doing. So it's about that time where we have to do our main topic. And we are so excited (laughs) that we're going to bring an interview to you from Penny Pennington Weeks. Penny is a farm lifestyle blogger. And she is a retired professor of agriculture at Oklahoma State University. And we had such an amazing conversation with her. We We have so much fun. So much in common. Vintage, chickens, recipes, gardens. It was amazing. And we're going to bring you that interview now. Enjoy. Hey, Penny, how are you doing today? Well, I'm great. And this is too much fun. And I'm so (laughs) glad to be here with the two of you. It's so awesome to meet you. And we have been big fans watching Instagram, and man, those crimson fields, I'm like, I need those at my house. <laughs> <laughs> and not only, not only are they gorgeous crimson fields, they had ducklings in them. I know. How oh my get that cute? I miss my ducklings. Aww. Oh, They have so flown away. They have left the coop, so to speak. Okay. Well, yeah, we ordered those and had them shipped to us. And we specifically ordered mallards. Mm-hmm. With the idea that they would live in my pond, you know, oh, that, okay. that we would take care of them and then they would just magically decide to stay here in our pond. Instead and, of like, uh, we're gone, yeah, we're out of here. You know, like, bye mom. <laughs> 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 I, I saw one last week, came home and took it some feed and hung out, took some photos and then left again. Essentially, oh, wow. she brought her laundry home and then said, see ya. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so everyone, if you want to take a look at Penny's gorgeous Instagram feed as we're talking, she is at Penny Pennington Weeks. You can also check out her blog, PennyPenningtonWeeks.com. And Penny, we're just going to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your gorgeous farm. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks for calling our farm gorgeous. That is, it is. It is. It is. So our farm is outside of Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I moved here about 20 years ago to teach at Oklahoma State University. I teach in the College of Ag, and I created a leadership major here for the college. And years later, met my husband, and we were married, and he grew up on a farm. I grew up in town, and he said, I want to live on some land. Yes. A few years later, we moved out here and I do not ever want to live in town again. I love being to wear my pajamas and go outside. Yeah, exactly. To the barn. It's just this sense of freedom. That's that's just so much fun. So how much acreage are you on? We've got about 40 acres. Wow. That's amazing. And and what you normally see like on my Instagram feed is really just 
Well, the, the pond is a couple of acres, but, you know, about the five acres around the house where the barns are and the house mm-hmm. is. And that's what I tend to focus on. And that's where you saw the crimson clover fields and those types of things. Okay. So did you build your house on the 40 acres or was it all together when you? It was it? here. The woman that built the house, I just really liked her style as a whole. We haven't changed a whole lot. Okay. We broke down some wallpaper, you know, yeah. painted some rooms. She built the barn. So the barn that you see on my feed was built by her. But the gardens that you see are basically all us. When we got here, things were overgrown and she hadn't lived here for a while. So we basically started all over and it's been a lot of fun. It's amazing. When you look at those pictures, it takes you there. You also have an amazing knack of setting a table setting. So in our feed, I don't know if you've noticed, we like to set tables too. So we're like, oh my goodness, we need to talk to Penny about table settings. And you do picnic table settings. How cool is that? We wanted to ask you, do you ever picnic with the chickens? I want to. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to. I have so many photos of this beautiful set picnic table and my husband trying to place the chicken anywhere near (laughs) what we're doing. And it's literally like I'll have him holding the chicken. And then I don't know what happens, but the chicken is in the air. There is nothing in between. (laughs) And they're like, no, we're not picnicking with you. Like, forget uh, it. Yeah. The closest I have is there's some photos where they were near a table with a bouquet of flowers. It's not set for a picnic. (laughs) But I'm like, oh my gosh, the chickens are by a table. I want to get some photos. (laughs) Yeah, your tablescapes are amazing. Yeah. Thank you. We love them. We love doing it ourselves. We do. It's a lot of fun. And we're wondering, do you have any favorite picnic foods or any egg-based dishes you like using at your picnics? So my picnics always start with the flowers. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I start to put a picnic together, it's location and flowers. And sometimes the location is based upon where the flowers are in the garden. Then I have to think about food. I want to keep it simple because I'm trying to get a pretty picture. We will eat what's happening in the picnic. When I'm styling a photograph for Instagram, I have to think about the flowers first, how I'm going to set it. And then food, which mm-hmm. my husband really would like me to think about food first. They all do. <laughs> oh, all yeah. these husbands, they're like, can you just do the food so we can eat? Please. He's like, can we do something with sausages? Maybe some sauerkraut? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'll do that picnic with you. And I'm like, well, thanks, honey. <laughs> so, you know, the food eggs, to be honest with you, are so beautiful photographed. Oh, yeah. So I love to add a bowl of eggs on the table. And oh, yeah. I literally have set a brunch table. It's one of my most popular photos in which there's some, I think there's maybe some fresh fruit. There's usually fruit. There's a bowl of eggs. And I went to a local bakery and picked up croissants. So I didn't cook those croissants. My husband probably could. I'm married to someone who's a great cook, great gardener. He's just lots of talents. Nice. Uh, I'm more the marketing director. But anyhow. I bought the croissants, left the eggs like that. And then after I was finished with the photos, literally went inside the house, scrambled the eggs, grabbed (laughs) some fresh coffee and said, honey, let's go sit outside and have our picnic. That sounds amazing. 
It's lots of fun. And sometimes they'll include in stories, the video, the real, the what's happening, you know, yeah. the cat yeah. on the table now. Frank, my cat, Frank is happy to be in photos. Okay. Not, the, not the chickens. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah. So you're talking about chickens. So we've done some research and we've realized that we've seen them in your pictures that you have New Hampshire's. Yeah. These chickens are gorgeous. The rooster. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We actually did New Hampshire's as our breed spotlight for this episode. Yes. And they're That's really great. interesting. Yeah. So we're going to teach everybody about those. Yeah. So what's your favorite thing about them and why did you choose that breed? So I talked about my husband a lot because he's the one that grew up on a farm. He's the one that said, oh, we should have chickens, right? When he was growing up, all of his chickens laid white eggs. Okay? So he had leghorns. He did. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, so, what's, what's so ironic about that is we now, for the first time, just got half a dozen leghorns. Yay! Oh. We love leghorns. I yeah. have one. So we have never had until this season any hens that lay white eggs. They've always been brown egg layers. So we've gone through several different breeds looking for a personality that we like that's also beautiful. The New Hampshire's check both those boxes. Awesome. Nice. Anyone could go into our coop and pick up our rooster. Max is the sweetest rooster. He's beautiful. He's gorgeous. <laughs> he, he is. is. So gorgeous. And the hens are sweet. We aren't the type to sit in our coop with the chickens on our laps all the time. But I do know that if we want to pick them up or want to handle them, they're very comfortable with that. Good. Now, I wanted to tell you guys, you know, for those people looking possibly to get New Hampshire's, we ordered our New Hampshire's from a man in Oregon. Okay. And it's the Whiskey Gulch New Hamps. He specializes in New Hampshire's. Nice. Okay. Whiskey Gulch New Hamps. Okay. We yeah. can put a link in for yeah, that. Yeah, we can link to that. Yeah, yeah. And it's awesome for anybody who wants to know. I think we will always have New Hampshire's. So we did order a few more chicken breeds this year. Yeah. And Which kinds did you get? So we did get leghorn. So we will have some white eggs, three Americanas. Nice. Hoping for some blue eggs. And yes. then we got Midnight Majesty Marin. Have you heard of that one? The, yes. The black hen. And they come from Hoover's Hatchery and they are a uh, cross. So they lay a dark egg, a dark, they should, dark they're egg. They're supposed to lay a dark brown egg. Mm -hmm. From the Marin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. They do have feathered feet. Nice. Yeah. Which would so, be, that would be the French line of the Moran. Yes. Like feathered okay. feet. So these definitely have genetics from the French line. Yes. Okay. Cool. Exactly. Good to know. Yeah. Chicken geek. You never know what <laughs> information you're going to get from the chicken ladies. <laughs> I love it. So you can say, ah, oh, wee oui, wee, oui, I have the French. French chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell this story. We had, Bill and I were foster parents for five years. And wow. over the course of five years, we had seven different girls live with us. And two of the sisters hatched eggs, went through the whole process, did record keeping. And then we let the girls take a hen, actually two hens and rooster to the fair. And we just said, go pick out whichever ones you want to take. I mean, no thought of trying to win or anything. Right. We won everything. We <laughs> wow. won everything single award and I was walking around and I was like, Pill, I, I think our chickens are the prettiest. 
I'm kind of biased, but I'm like, they're, they're really pretty. And then we go back and we're like, oh my gosh, look at all these ribbons. <laughs> That's amazing. The girls, the girls were so excited and it was, it was fun for them, you know, to win those awards. So Penny, what are your most and least favorite things about keeping chickens in Oklahoma? I think it's always the temperature. So it's kind of these extremes. Most of the year we're pretty spoiled. It's decent. Okay. And then right now we're under a heat dome. Yeah. Which is easier to care for the chickens when it's hot than when it's freezing. And we earlier this winter, we hit negative 15. Oh, wow. Which had never hit before. So it's just making sure that the chickens always have water. And, you know, that their combs aren't getting frostbit mm-hmm. because they don't really know to go inside. And so right. it's just making you put them inside. I guess that is kind of particular to our climate here in Oklahoma. It sounds like you have two extremes, negative 15 and then super warm. You have to actually have chickens that are good in both environments. We're kind of in the same. Yeah. In the mid-Atlantic we have both extremes also, and it's so hard because then you have the chickens that are cold hardy and then the ones that are heat tolerant. Right. Climate makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Back to photography, because we can't say enough. <laughs> we love your pictures. Do you have any tips that you can give us for snapping great shots of your chickens? Okay, so chickens are difficult because they're live and yeah. don't understand what I'm saying. And even if they did, I'm not sure if they would cooperate. So to me, the best thing to do is first know what time of day you want to photograph and decide ahead of time, you know, where you are going to sit. If you're going to sit down at the level of the chicken, take your photographs. And for me, it's oftentimes in front of a garden area. And so actually the photo I'm going to share later today is in front of some of our purple cone flower and the white fence. And, you know, there's all kinds of spots I could do it, but Mm -hmm. I specifically decided where I wanted Max and the hens, found a spot for me to sit where the angles were good, the lighting would be good, and then lots of treats. So prepare, look for the spot where you want to be, check the lighting out at which hour during the day, and make sure all those things are set so that you can deal with a chicken that never stops moving. So that won't be as hard. You know that your lighting's right. I know sometimes like I'll be down with the chickens and then it's like they move and then your lighting is completely off from where you were yeah. a second ago. You know, I'll take a hundred photos to maybe like one of them. And yeah, right. I take a lot of photos. I love sunset photos. I think those are my favorite. I love cloudy days. You know, an empty sky is not very interesting. Yeah, But a sky has clouds in it. So you guys were commenting on my photos. And I'm not a photographer. This is all just kind of learned by experience. But my photos that y'all were commenting on earlier in the cornfields and on the farm, that night, it had rained earlier in the day. And there were clouds in the sky. And I'm like, I think it's going to be nice tonight. And it was beautiful wherever I looked. I mean, it was just amazing that night. Yeah, it was gorgeous. I agree with you. Clouds make it really interesting. I think I kind of mentioned it, but you have to be willing to get down on the level of your chickens. One of my favorite places to shoot the chickens is I'm sitting on the ground, but there's this rock that's a little bit higher than me that they will climb on if I put treats up there. And so it's one of my spots that I like to photograph them. 
Love it. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. Do you collect any vintage chicken wear or chicken decor? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hope my husband will listen to this part. I collect all kinds of things. So I used to actually sell antiques in a local boutique and then used to do big antique sales out of my barn. Ooh, that sounds awesome. I have been to countless farm auctions and estate sales. So, and garage sales, but you know, farm auctions are just so much fun and you get lots of great chicken stuff at farm auctions. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that I never pass up is a nice egg basket. I mean, if you can find an old egg basket, it's so much better than the new ones, which you can get reproductions. As far as collecting, and I use them, I mean, we just keep them all over, you know, in the barn. We use them for eggs, but we also use them for vegetables or mm-hmm. something in the garden that we're collecting. Of course, I, you know, have a few hens on nest, which are just, you know, all our grandmothers had them and they're just so adorable yeah. and they should all have wooden drops in them. But as far as like collecting, as far as having more than one of something, it's the old egg baskets. I mean, I could have countless of those. That's fantastic. What would you classify as your best find? My best find, it was an old map table and it was so cool. Oh, wow. And it was huge. And I refinished part of it because it really needed some work and sold it. So that was probably my best find. Weather vanes are hard to find. Yeah. And they're so expensive, I think, when you do find them. So I have a weather vane that I kept for myself. I was going to say, then what was your best find that you kept that you didn't sell? Yeah, my rooster weather vane is pretty cool. They are really cool. I wish I had a good place to put one. Maybe on top of the barn in the back. Yeah, probably. You could probably do that. I could. They are fantastic. What's your favorite thing about being a chicken lady? Fresh eggs. Fresh eggs, yeah. It's breakfast. We have a, a bumper sticker that says, my pet lays breakfast. Basically, you know, most animals, you're feeding them. My chickens provide breakfast for us every day. So they should be part of the farm. It just would seem empty without them. Yeah, Yeah, they have so much personality. And the crazy chicken lady, I mean, we were talking about this before, how long the chicken lady has been around. Yes, it's been a very old phenomenon, very, very old, like back in the day of George Washington and all those times, it was the ladies, probably thousands of years. Yeah, it was always the ladies who took care of the chickens. We can all be classic chicken ladies. Well, yeah, this is something that Holly and I both really like is setting pretty tables. And I feel like they're kind of hot right now. Like setting the table was lost somewhere along the way. And now you feel like on Instagram, it's taken a turn. Best advice for us trying to set a table and have it look really pretty? Flowers. You have to have flowers. And I really try to shop our garden, to shop the fields. You know, you don't have to spend money on flowers. Even in the wintertime, there's grasses outside and things that you can clip or a tree branch that will look beautiful or something like that. So flowers, you know, I always start with flowers. And then, I guess I should start with food, but I never do. (laughs) And then, you know, talking about vintage items, I use the very best that I have. Because, you know, I think with all of the state sales I've been to, they're just all of this stuff that never got used. 
And hopefully by the time you lose your parents, you don't need their stuff. Yeah. And so it gets sold. It gets sold in these estate sales. And it was such a precious item that no one ever used it. And so I had someone comment with me one time because I had set a picnic table with flow blue. Well, this China is over 100 years old. And they're like, you shouldn't be using that. And I'm like, well, who should? Right, who right. should use it? I mean, should it really literally sit on a shelf? And it probably already has for over 100 years. Right. Someone should use that. And my other thing about that is if I do use it, then maybe somebody actually wants it. Right. Because they remember, hey, we used to have picnics and use those really beautiful teacups. Mm-hmm. Right. So, it, yeah. it creates the memory for someone who's, you know, yeah. who used it, who says, oh, my goodness, the memory locked with it. And I totally 100% agree with you to not use these things is such a shame to lock them up and preserve them for what, like you said, an estate sale that someone that doesn't even know you comes in and buys your things. That's probably what makes them so pretty when you photograph is that you do use these special items that people normally don't see in that aspect of photography. So I love it. Thank you. I just If you'll look through some of my picnics, I think what makes kind of some of mine different is the vintage items. It, it might be that, so we did a martini picnic out in the Crimson Clover Field. So, you know, it's nice. trying to find fun setting and we'll drive around the property in our little four-wheeler and say, okay, what, where is it pretty right now? And it's like, oh, this field is beautiful. And we usually, you know, have a table already in the the back of the four-wheeler, really ready to dump over there. And I'll throw the table over. And we did one in Crimson Cloverfield. The ducks joined us. And <laughs> Those pictures of that fun. Crimson Clover. Thank you. And then we made martinis. And I took out vintage dominoes. And oh, cool. we just kept it simple. So we had martinis and had dominoes. And That's hung out awesome. I love it. Sounds great. Yeah. 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 That crimson made me want crimson clover when I saw those (laughs) pictures. I'm like, I need a field like that. That does look gorgeous. It's so, so pretty. Have you heard the story of our first crimson clover field? No. Okay. So again, I could not tell you a few years ago what crimson clover looked like before it bloomed. (laughs) I have no idea. It just looks like some weed to me out in the field, right? So I have no idea that my husband has planted a field of crimson clover. None. Wow. Because, you know, I'm inside drinking coffee or whatever, and he's out doing work. So one day he comes inside. It's like, hey, you know, would you like to take a walk with me? And I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe. <laughs> How far do I have to walk? And he's like, okay, we're just walking down to the blue barn. And I'm like, okay, sure. Which I don't ever show much in pictures. So we walked down and it's entire filled of crimson clover. And it was just such a sweet surprise. And I always say, you know, that's kind of his way of giving me flowers. That's and a big way. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was just so sweet and so much fun. And since then, I know a whole lot about crimson clover and I've helped him sow it each fall and wait eagerly for it to arrive because it's just so beautiful. Is it one of your favorites? You know, I always say everything that's blooming is my favorite. <laughs> you know? yeah. There is so much that is just so beautiful. I love the purple coneflower, the echinacea, when it's in full bloom, all in front of the barn. 
This year I put in a cut flower garden and I'm growing dahlias for the first time. And they're just amazing. I'm not very good at the whole cut flower garden thing because I don't like to cut the flowers. And oh, yeah, they're just yeah. so there, but I realized that I need to cut the flowers in order to get more flowers. Right. And so that brings us to our next to the last question for you, which was, what are your favorite garden flowers for cutting? Dallas, <laughs> yeah. I'm just blown away at how long the bloom lasts. Yeah. And how sturdy the stem is. Right. And now, for example, I love Cosmos. We have a ton of Cosmos. You know, we have an entire area of orange Cosmos, which I've thrown a picnic in before. But they're not great cutting flowers, or at least the varieties I have grown right. are not cutting flowers. I mean, they don't last like a dahlia does. Right. It's just, and hydrangeas, I think, also are incredible. And I added seven hydrangea bushes last fall. Wow. And I'm looking to add more this coming fall. Nice. nice. They are beautiful. I really like them. I put one in last year. I boast about my neighbors. They have the most gorgeous trees. So I go over there and I'm like, can I cut a few? And I come back with this armful <laughs> and Joe is like, how many did you take? I was like, this is nothing. <laughs> There's so many over there. They're so plentiful. I just, it's one of my favorites. But growing up here in Maryland, my parents called them snowball bushes. Right. So sometimes they were talking about hydrangeas when they said snowball bushes. And sometimes they were talking about viburnum. Yes. In the corner of our yard, we had what I always knew as a snowball bush. Like I never knew it was a hydrangea. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I would go out saying, yeah, you know, the snowball bush. And they look at you like, what are you talking about? I know. (laughs) (laughs) And it was usually the PG hydrangea. So it was, it did look like a snowball. Yeah, that's true. But it was really cool. So in your gardens, do you grow veggies? And do the chickens get to eat some of these veggies that you grow? The chickens get to eat lots of veggies. It started this year with the cabbage. We just, we did too much. I made sauerkraut. We ate as much as we could. And then the chickens benefited from the rest. And I love, you know, you can take that cabbage and you can hang it in there. Yeah. But yeah, all kinds of veggies. I think I just did a tour and right now we just have an incredible number of tomatoes. Black creme is by far my favorite. Oh, they're delicious. Oh, oh wow. So amazing. We're doing tomatillas for the first time this year. Nice. And they're beautiful. We have lots of peppers right now. We have pumpkins, you know, starting to come up. The watermelons. You can see those and honeydew and cantaloupe and butternut squash. And for the first time this year, we're doing the black turtle beans. Nice. So, you know, one of the only things that we don't do is carrots. Bill's like, if he's never had any luck with carrots, we don't do carrots. Lots of potatoes. And we'll do a a fall garden also. So we'll do a whole nother round of lettuces and things like that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. All your pictures are so gorgeous. Like I said, they make you want to go and see your beautiful farm. You're like, oh my goodness, everything looks so gorgeous. It's been been amazing talking with you. And everyone should follow you on Instagram because you're such a fun, happy page and beautiful pictures. The website blog as well. You can follow the blog. Again, gorgeous photography. Yeah. Fantastic recipes. I love your website too. Well, thank you. The website's new. You know, I'm just, as I get closer to retirement, I'm having a little more time to write. 
for fun rather than professionally. Instagram is, has been a lot of fun and a, a great place to share. And I do try to keep things happy and kind of peaceful. I want it to be kind of a no stress place to hang out, beautiful gardens. And I'm not a big shopper, so it's not a lot about shopping and, and what can you buy next. I mean, I just kind of enjoy the garden and the flowers and our chickens and yeah. keep it simple. I think that's the key these days is to keep life simple. I love your vintage buys that you put up that you find on there too, your egg baskets. I got one egg basket recently that I was so happy with at a thrift store. And I was like, yes. So that's the key to life, keeping it simple. And the chickens, no one can understand being with the chickens unless you have chickens. It is really (laughs) good for the psyche. It's really, really good. Yeah. So everybody follow Penny. She has a fantastic page. Thank you again so much for coming on and talking with us. It's been amazing to meet you and your chickens are gorgeous. Everyone should check it out. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We just want to thank Penny Pennington Weeks one more time for coming on the show, having such a great conversation with us. We love Penny. Yeah, Penny's fantastic. Thank you for everything, Penny. Yes, thank you so much. And it's about that time that we crack the eggs. Cracking those eggs. So it's fancy dessert time. Well, we have Penny. She's your classic chicken lady. But she's totally down to earth. She has gorgeous stuff, but she's not fancy schmancy. No, and she loves her desserts. She does. And so we took a fancy schmancy dessert and we maybe made it a smidgen less schmancy. Yeah, so that you can attempt it and not feel afraid of a recipe. So we broke this down into easy steps and we cheated a little bit. So generally baked Alaska is molded ice cream on a cake base. How can you go wrong? So we're changing things up a little bit and we're making this with a brownie base instead of a cake base. And that's where the cheating comes in because we use the box brownie mix. Yay. Yeah. And we are not ashamed of it. No. So we use the gluten-free brownie mix from Aldi, but any brownie mix will do. Yeah, exactly. So you have to do this in steps and it's not that hard. You just have to sort of plan the time. About an hour or so before you start, take your ice cream out of the freezer to soften. Because you don't want that rock hard ice cream. Yeah, you need to be able to mold it. That is the worst thing when it's 10 o'clock at night and you're craving ice cream and you go to scoop it and it's like. My mom puts it in the microwave and I'm not even joking. That's a good idea. Yeah, she softens it up. So we use three pints of dairy-free ice cream. We use two mocha fudge and one chocolate. Mm. Yeah. You can do this ahead of time or you can wait until the ice cream's softened. You're going to line a one and a half quart bowl with foil or plastic wrap. Okay. Either one. Once your ice cream is softened enough, you're going to spread the ice cream in the bowl. Okay. And you can do it in layers if you're using different flavors. Right. And then you're going to freeze it for at least two hours. So you're going to refreeze it. Right. In the mold. Back in the bowl. Yeah. Right. When you make your brownies, you're going to make one change. Okay. Instead of two eggs or whatever number of eggs your mix calls for, you'll need four. And what this does, I've done this multiple times, is it makes it more like a cake. It will make it very cake-like. Yes. But it also is my way of not having to separate eggs and not using yolks. (laughs) So I experimented with this quite a bit till I got it right. Yeah. My box of brownie mix called for two eggs and I brought two more. Okay. Put one of the eggs in the batter straight up. Yeah. You're going to have another bowl and you're going to separate the remaining three eggs. Okay. Three whites in the bowl, three yolks in the brownie mix. Okay. So the brownie mix gets one whole egg. And there's three leftover yolks. And then you're using the rest for the meringues. Exactly. So mix the yolks into the batter, bake your brownies. In the meantime, you can put that bowl of egg whites in the refrigerator. Keep it nice and cold. Go about your business. What you're going to do is get your brownies to bake. And once they're cooled, right. you're ready for the next step. Yep. So you're going to make the meringue right before you're ready to assemble the whole Alaska. Right. 
So get your brownie base cut into shape, get everything ready to go. You're going to whip the egg whites and the sugar to stiff peaks. And don't forget to eat the corners that you cut off. The corners might be wrapped up and weighed in <laughs> my house. You're going to put your brownie base down. You're going to empty your ice cream mold on top of it so it's a whole right. dome shape. Yep. You're going to quickly cover that with your meringue. Mm-hmm. And you want it to be at least an inch thick all the way around. Yes. You're going to pop that into a 500 degree oven for two minutes. No longer. No longer because <laughs> bad things happen if you put it in longer than two minutes. Bring it out of the oven, serve it, and wow your family and friends with how delicious it is and how talented you are. And how pretty it is. They are pretty, yeah. Instant they are success. very pretty. And I have to tell you, even if you overbake it a little bit, <laughs> I, that, that happened to someone I know. They overbaked their Alaska. <laughs> it's still good. It's still good. It's not bad. So there you are. That is awesome. Holly and broke it down so that it is easier. When you hear baked Alaska, sometimes the scary one. You yeah. know, you're like, yeah, oh my definitely. God, I can't do this. But this makes it really a lot easier and you can make it for a summertime little get together Yes, and wow everybody. Really, the only thing you need to pay attention to is if you have people who are immunocompromised or perhaps elderly or right. small children, you might want to make a Swiss meringue where you cook the meringue before you put it on the Alaska mold. Right. Other than that, we just did a straight up uncooked meringue yeah. and put that on there, put it in the oven. Fantastic. Sounds good. It's really pretty. So if you try this, send us pictures. We'd love to see it. Remember, no more than two minutes. No more than two minutes. It's not, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. So it's about that time we move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. So we're excited about this one because yeah. we're trying another product for retail therapy. And we are trying Grubbly's Layer Crumble. With fantastic results, too. Love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. So Grubbly Farms has been making treats for a long time. Oh, everybody knows Grubbly's. I was a pretty early subscriber to the Grubbly Farm treats. Been an enormous fan. So I was thrilled when they got into the feed game. Oh, yeah. Everything they do is really, really good. Very high quality stuff. So we were excited when Grubbly's had us try this. And they're crumbles. Yes. Now, I feed my flock crumbles from the beginning. That's all I fed. I feed my bantams crumbles. I have always fed my layers pellets yeah. because they waste less of it. But Grubbly's does have a layer feed that's pellets. So in my mixed flock, I could have all of my big hens on layer pellets. Right. And now this crumble means I could feed it to my bantams without fear of them choking. Right. And for me, if it's right into what right I do. right into what you do. Exactly. So the big thing about this food is packed full of nutritious, natural ingredients. Most of the protein in this layer crumble comes from peas and grubs. Yeah, it's all natural. It's, it's fantastic. so natural. It's free of a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. can be used in food as fillers. One of the things I really liked about it is that it was low dust. There's yeah. not a lot of dust. That's one of the things it, it boasts about the food. And uh-huh. I really paid attention to it while I'm mixing it in. Me too. And it is really low dust. Yes. I love the fact that it has marigolds in the feed. You're a big fan of the marigolds. I am. It has flax seed. It has sunflower seed. All these things that we normally give extra to give to her, it's already in the food. So you're going to save money not having to buy as many of those things. It's true. It's a very complete feed. It's complete. That's the thing I really like about this food. 
I tried it with the girls. They love it. Mm -hmm. What can we say? It's all natural and healthy. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's just a coincidence that I'm starting with my Bantam Nankin breeding project now that this crumble has come out and it's the perfect size for them. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have to switch to a layer crumble because Bantams can't handle pellets. Yeah, the pellets are pretty large. I mean, I can't imagine a Bantam would be great with it. Well, certainly not Bantams that size. The Nankins are less than two pounds. They're tiny. I didn't even blink twice. I could put this right out for them and it was perfect. Yeah, that's the thing. Like if you have bantams, this is perfect. What I was saying about fillers, corn is a big filler in feet. It is right. Because it's less expensive. Yes. This food is corn free. It is. The chickens absolutely loved it. I gave it to everyone at first. Right. I'm actually keeping the rest of it for the bantams. Yeah. But I gave it to everyone at first and they gobbled it down. They all loved it. Yeah. And the fact that it has plant protein in it. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I do too. I'm a big fan of the flax meal in the food too. Oh, yeah. And they really do love that. It's going to help with feathers. When you're going into fall in a month or two, and we're going to be talking about molting, Mm -hmm. our chickens are going to be looking really bad. This has the flaxseed, the sunflower seeds in it to help that feather growth come back quicker. So it gives that extra protein. It's 16% protein. It's a perfect amount. It has a good calcium level as well for good eggshells. As you said, it is corn-free, soy-free. It's fish-free. I think part of the worry with fish is where it's sourced from. Right, exactly. And what kind of chemicals it given the fish. Right, and that's a big deal. It's going into your laying hens And then going into you, essentially. you, right. It comes in a 30-pound and a 60-pound. Right. It has a subscribe and save. You can purchase the 30-pound bag. I think it's $45. And the 60-pound, you get a price break. It's 83 Right. And if you subscribe, you get 10% off, which adds up. And the other thing is it delivers free. Yeah. So yeah. Right to you. Right to you. You're not going to the feed store. You're not hauling these bags to your yeah. house. If you want to go to a really natural food, but you don't know which one to pick, this is one. This is a fantastic one. There are no fillers or byproducts in here. I love that. Everything about it is natural. And like I said, you will end up saving money. You might spend a little more on the food, but you'll save money because the more nutrient packed per bite, that's true. they'll eat a little less. So it will. it will go further. It will. And the other thing is you're getting all those great things that you don't have to buy outside. The marigolds, the flaxseed, the sunflower seed, they're all in the feed already. I love that. And I love how transparent it is. This is what's in it. It's all natural. Yes. Here's the other thing. Manufactured in the USA. Right. Love that. Love it. Right here in America. I was fascinated by the fact that insects are one of the main protein sources in this food. The number one protein source. Yeah. And it's so natural for your chickens. That's what they search for when they're out there foraging. They want to eat bugs. Bugs are number one. Number one. Naturally, a chicken wants to eat bugs. Yep. And it makes me feel good. Again, I keep coming back to my bantams, but they're such a little treasure. And I feel that feeding them a super high quality food like this is very, very important. Oh, yeah. If you want to check them out, go to Grubbly Farms. They have a website. You can order directly from the website. You can subscribe there. Right. Or you can buy each time. Give them a try. Again, we love this layer food, the layer crumble, but they do have a chick crumble and they do have a layer pellet as yeah, well. Yeah, look over all their stuff. Okay, so now that we've talked about grublies and how great they are, we should tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week. Next week, we're going to spotlight the Barn of Elder. Yay! We're going to have our August roundtable with Fiona the Floof Lady. We're going to talk about chicken communication. Nice, I love it. Cracking the eggs as kedgeree, which Ooh. is a savory British dish. And our really fantastic retail therapy, we're going to talk to Rebecca Marshall. Oh, this is so great. This is so much fun. Yes. It's going to be great. 
So until next week, what should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chickens. And kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to everybody next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.